It's witchcraft. It's 4.20 a.m. Hi, and welcome to the Stoned Witches Hour. On this podcast, two best friends on opposite sides of the USA tell stories to spook each other out while smoking mass quantities of the best cannabis in the land. Welcome to episode 24. And if you've gotten this far and are having fun along with us, why don't you give us five stars and maybe a review? Representing all things West Coast, witchy and weedy, I'm Layla. And I am somewhere i am shell i am i don't know what i am today you are shell in the ether <laughs> lost in the clouds yeah up in a cloud of cannabis smoke new grandma clouds or <laughs> <laughs> lost in the land of work haziness not sure where you are it's the beginning of summer does that to me i think i don't know what day it is anymore i'm completely confused i don't know what's going on it happens it i happens. feel like i'm like that on the regular and before anyone says that uh, it's all the marijuana that does it i think we were like this i know i was like this before i started smoking (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, it's just a personality flaw what can you do what can you do but today shell is a very special day what's today today is world ufo day Ooh, who knew i didn't know there was such i didn't know there was such a day Isn't that the coolest thing? Now, there's two different dates that it could be celebrated on. One is June 24th and one is July 2nd. And the most popular one is July 2nd. And you know why they picked those two days? First of all, why did they pick those two days? And second of all, why was July 2nd more prevalent? I'm so glad you asked. They picked those two days because June 24th, 1947 is the first recorded sighting in modern times of flying saucers. And I think we talked about this gentleman. It was uh, Kenneth Arnold above Mount Rainier in the Cascade Mountain region. And I, th- I think we did talk about that. At one yeah. Time. Yeah. And he's the one that kind of coined the um, flying saucer, even though that he said they were crescent shaped. He said they moved like they were skipping across the water as if you had thrown a flying disc. And so that's how they got the the term flying saucer, even though he said that they were shaped like a crescent. Anyway. So what's the July 2nd date have to do with whatever? And the July 2nd date is something else that we talked about. That's the Roswell incident. Same year, July 2nd, 1947. That's the day when the famous Roswell incident happened. I gotcha. That makes sense. And because the Roswell incident is the more well-known of the two, that's why people have pretty much unanimously voted that July 2nd is World UFO Day. Well, I don't know if you've seen this. You know how I've been I've been scouring news lately. We talked about a news story last time. We have that so you're normally not a newsie. You I really am the- not. But what has happened recently is they came out with some reports about how the Navy or that maybe it was the Air Force, I don't know. They were surrounded by like 100 UFO crafts. And that just came out in the last week or so out in the news. More of those tic-tac-shaped things? I don't know if they were tic-tac-shaped, but they they were being basically bombarded by UFOs. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, it seems like it's coming, maybe because they've kind of lifted the veil of secrecy in the last couple of years, but it does seem like there are more and more accounts 
that we've been hearing in the news. Yeah, but that's the thing. Is it still the same consistency or are we just hearing about it now publicly because they decided to stop lying? I think that's I think that's a big part of it. I think because they've come out and said, hey, yeah, we were kind of covering this up. And there are things in the sky that we don't know what they are. So between that and, of course, obviously the ease of taking pictures and video and the proliferation of social media, it's so much easier to share these things now. Right. So it's harder to hide. Or could it be Elon Musk's satellites? I don't know. Are we throwing so much stuff up there? Spacelink or Starlink or something? I don't know. I'm not a citizen of Mars. That's the thing. You know, we're putting so much shit out in the atmosphere. I don't even know. Are we stirring them up? And so they're coming knocking on our door more often. They're like, hey, buddy, I'm trying to sleep up here. What the fuck? They're probably like those fucking earthlings, man. They need to get their shit together. You know, and I really think Elon is missing. He's totally missing the train here because growing cannabis on Mars would solve so many problems. It's going to make the soil better. It's going to help with the oxygen production. You know, you, you can use it as a building material. Yeah, but they don't have water on Mars. Well, yeah, they do. There's there those ice caps. They have a ton of water on Mars. Yeah, but how are ice caps going to feed a plant? Well, you melt it and then you <laughs> pour it on there. I don't know. Bring a candle, light a fire. I'm not sure. I don't know. But it's Elon Musk. He can figure out how to melt water. He's going to sit out there with a freaking blowtorch, melting these Martian ice caps to grow weed on Mars. Elon, if you do this, call me. Right? He can take those flamethrowers. He sold some flamethrowers a few years ago. Take an Elon Musk branded flamethrower to Mars, melt those ice caps, water your weed, and there you go. Boom. Atmosphere on Mars. Problem solved. That's why you and I are geniuses. I just We are. We're out. so smart. We figured it all out. So NASA, call us. We have, we have thoughts. I just want to be the first czar of weed, please. I just, that's all I want is my title. That would be nice. I'll take Princess Weed since I'm a stuff and packer. Yeah, since I stuff and pack, <laughs> I can handle Princess. Okay, Padawan, you can be my queen in training for the, <laughs> for the weed czar. No, you need, to, you need your own title. You need your own title. You need to be like Princess of Adventure yeah. or you could be the lead ghost hunter on Mars. Oh, yeah. You know, there's got to be ghosts on Mars. There's got to be. You can search out ancient ruins and all the ghost stories on Mars. There's got to be a ton. It would be fun. There wouldn't be no East Coast, West Coast. <laughs> no, that's true. There wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't know about this plan anymore. Let's shelve it for a little bit. We'll, we'll wait well, and see. We'll let's call look. Elon and see what he says. What are you smoking today that's making you think that uh, weed can grow on Mars? Well, I am actually pretty excited today. I have done a little swap with another grower and I'm super thrilled. Ooh. I've traded them some of my straw Nana and they traded me some pineapple punch. And so I'm smoking a fellow grower. Good stuff. This is really good. It's very tasty. The buds are not super dense. And he warned me that that was going to be the case, but he is new to growing. But other than that, these are fantastic. They're very tasty, very crystally. Does it have that any citrusy flavor? It does. This is a very uplifting sativa and it does have a little bit of that Maybe more of a lemon than a pineapple, but I guess if I pretend it, it could be pineapple-y, but it does taste a little bit sweet, a tiny bit citrusy. And, and I like that. I, you know me, I love a good tasting smoke and this has it. So other than not being super dense, like you're used to seeing in the stores, and this is a little shaggier, 
Oh, that's pretty still. Yeah. Not still very, a little shag. Nothing. No, no. Honestly, when I grow, I do the same thing. I'm a rough trimmer. I like to leave all the sugar leaves on there. I don't like it to be uniform and all cut up. Perfect. Perfect. That's because she doesn't like to trim guys. That's her real story. <laughs> don't let her fool you. <laughs> that's probably a big part of it. I would have to say you are, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Because right, you're guilty like, oh, confession. good enough, good enough. <laughs> guilty, guilty confession. I used to trim very much. I was very strict. All Meticulous. leaves had to come off. Meticulous trimmer. And um, my husband liked the sugar leaves. And so I started leaving them on for him. And because I'm freaking lazy, I don't like all that trimming. It's a lot, man. If I get friends over, it's no big. But if it's just me. I mean, it's every couple months, so it does get to be a lot. But anyway, so I started leaving the sugar leaves on and I found that I liked it a lot better. And I, I see that more and more with other growers that the it looks a little shaggier. You know, you'll see the you'll see the leaves on there, but it doesn't seem to harsh the smoke. If, if it's just the sugar leaves, it just seems to add trichomes and just add a nice, tasty goodness. Well, that's good. Yeah. So this is fun. And this is a, this is a sativa dominant. It is almost a, I think it's like an 80 or 90% sativa. So it's right up there, which could also contribute to the, the lighter, the fluffier buds. Sometimes sativas will sometimes have a fluffier bud, but it, I don't know again, because home grow, I don't know what the percentage on this is, but I did look it up on Leafly and they have it as a higher THC. They show it as a 22 or 28% THC. So again, like a daytime smoke, and this is on the energizing side and it does make me very happy. I find this, this pineapple punch makes me very giggly, very happy, very uplifted. Nothing wrong with a happy high. No, not good for work. I wouldn't say that I, I could do a lot of research with this because I'm, I'm a little, can't really pay attention that long. I'm just kind of happy. This is more for hanging out, relaxing with friends and just having okay. a good time. Not like a get stuff done. No, <laughs> no, this is, a, you know, go to the coffee shop, go to the park, you know, go have fun with your friends, hang out. This is just a nice high. How about you, Shell? What are you smoking today? Today I'm smoking the GMO Skittles, a little bit lower THC. It's more like, I think it said 25.7. Good stuff still, not a disappointment. It's very wood taste, woody tasting is the only mm. thing I'd say. I wouldn't say it's the best tasting shit I've ever had, but it's better tasting than dirt weed. I wouldn't really give it a 10 out of 10 in taste. Yeah, I found that sometimes, uh, at least around here, some of the the smaller dispensaries in particular, if they're working with local growers, I'll find that the mid shelf sometimes will have as much THC as the top shelf, but it won't look as good or it won't taste as good. Yeah. So that might be kind of what you've got there. It's definitely lacking in the taste department, but again, not disappointed, still high, no complaints but it's not the best I've ever had. Yeah. You had mentioned last episode that you were going to try a lower THC and, and see how that went. And no, like I said, the high is good. It just tastes kind of meh. Unfortunately, we don't always get those fabulous tasting strikes. High, high THC contents. Yeah. Ah, that's what we all want, right? Just the perfect bud. That's perfect, squishy, crystally consistency. Delicious. Delicious. It smells good when you open it up. It tastes good. It makes your fingers sticky after you pack it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. But you can't have that all the time, every time. No, you don't get that every time. It's not Christmas every day. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I guess it can't be, it can't always be perfect. It's not Christmas every day. Some days it's GMO Skittles. Some days it's GMO Skittles. But again, not disappointed whatsoever. No, not too disappointing at all. That's good. And I'm glad I have a happy high going on today because I kind of have a sad story. Oh, is this true crime? It is a true crime. This is a missing person. And it's got an interesting, sad twist to it. Just a very mysterious twist. Oh, boy. All right. Lay it on me. <laughs> this involves, um, do you remember Polaroids? Yeah. You know, kind of shake it like a Polaroid picture. Yeah. This involves a Polaroid that was found that appeared to show two children in the back of a white van, your stereotypical white van, who looked like their arms were bound behind their backs and they had duct tape across their mouths. Oh, shit. Mysteriously, they looked quite a bit like two children who had gone missing from New Mexico. Now, the picture was found in Florida, which I know is your territory, but the story starts in New Mexico, which is mine. So I kind of am claiming this under eminent domain. That's okay. That's okay. All right, cool. I have no idea what eminent domain means, but it sounded good. And that sounds very official, by the way. Thank you. Yes. So I'm pretty sure I own this story. All right. This starts in a town called Bellin, which is south of Albuquerque, New Mexico. And this is back in 1988. I was a kid back then. And I remember this story when the Polaroid was found. And again, I was a true crime, scary story junkie back then. So I kind of paid attention to things like this. But let me know if you've, if you've ever heard of this show. Okay. Okay. So this is in September, September 20th, 1988. This little town called Bellin, again, south of Albuquerque, New Mexico. We're going to tell you about Tara Calico, a young woman named Tara Calico. She was 19 in 1988. Great girl. Very, very smart. I guess she started taking college classes in her junior year of high school. Oh, very nice. Doing all the right things and was pretty ambitious. Super sweet girl. Very athletic as well, by all accounts. And she was on her high school track team. She played tennis and she took a very long distance bike ride, about 17 miles out and 17 back. So roughly 34 miles round trip bike ride every day, every morning. Wow. Right. I take a bike ride every day and it's not that long. Blocks <laughs> and back. <laughs> <laughs> right. There you go. A few blocks down and back. And she would cycle mostly along New Mexico State Road 47, which is a mostly straight road that went down to some railroad tracks where she would go and then kind of back. Same route every day, all the time. She usually rode with her mother, Patty Dole. And this particular day, she hadn't got, her mother didn't go with her because recently they had kind of been run off the road by a car and it really spooked Patty and she, she didn't want to go. She actually didn't want Tara to go either and try to talk her out of it. But Tara insisted, you know, she wasn't as scared as her mother was about it. She heads out with her Walkman and her Boston tape all freshly rewound and ready to go. She tells her mom kind of half jokingly, if I'm not back by noon, come look for me. She had a 1230 date with her boyfriend and she was going to go play tennis with him. And then she had class at 3.30. So she jokingly tells her mom, if you don't see me by noon, you know, come find me. And she was never seen again. And her mom has never stopped looking for her. 
So about 12.05, she hasn't come back and Patty starts looking for her daughter. She drives this whole route and doesn't see her anywhere and informs the police, the Valencia County Sheriff's Office, that she thinks her daughter is missing. Now, unlike other kids of that age, again, she was Tara was 19. They took it pretty seriously because she was a very responsible kid, well-known in the community. So they immediately suspected foul play. And the sheriff at the time was a man named Lawrence Romero. And he said, quote, We feel this is an involuntary disappearance. We understand from talking to her parents and friends that this is totally out of character for her to turn up missing. So they immediately start looking and they find on the side of the road where she had been traveling, they found bike tire tracks and they see where possibly it skidded or stopped. There were like scuff marks where the tire tracks ended. And just off the road, there were footprints in the dirt, some beer cans and parts of her Walkman, like pieces of it. And the Boston tape. Oh, geez. So on further searching, they discovered several people remembered seeing Tara riding her bike that day. They didn't see anything happen to her, but some people did report saying that they saw a truck, a white or cream colored truck with a homemade camper on the back of it with two or three men inside of it, kind of following Tara and possibly like harassing her. She had made reports and had told her mother that people had been following her. And there were reports that there was a man in town who was interested in her and she didn't return his interest. And he just so happened to be the son of Lawrence Romero. This was Lawrence Romero Jr. was interested in her. And he was one I of- I feel the- like that name sounds familiar. I don't know. Joey Romero, isn't he like an actor or something? Joey oh, Lawrence? Maybe that's I don't why. know. I have no idea. So people reported seeing him possibly in this truck that was harassing her that that same day that she disappeared. They're searching for her all over the place. And a few days later on September 24th, they find right at the foot of the Manzano mountains nearby at the entrance to the John F. Kennedy campground, they find more pieces of her Walkman there. Oh, and that's roughly 19 miles from where she was last seen. Oh shit. So The trail kind of went cold at that point. Nobody knew what had happened. Oddly, Patty says that she was kind of getting the runaround. Like she said, both the sheriff's department seemed to very much be helping, but also some of them seemed to be hindering. There was even a detective that kept calling her and saying, oh, I got a tip that your daughter is part of a satanic cult. Then he would call her and say that she was part of a sex trafficking ring and she was getting all these terrible right? He was, it was just all these awful theories. She was constantly being bombarded with these terrible theories um, from this detective. And he even went so far as to tell a newspaper reporter that Tara had run away, that she was just a runaway. And it was after that, that I guess he got fired, but she did feel that even though she was getting a lot of help from the department, she also seemed like there were people in the department that were working against the case. That's shitty. And it it seemed like everything kind of ground to a halt until the next year in June, June 15th, 1989, in Florida, of all places, Port St. Joe, Florida, in the parking lot of a grocery store, a woman saw a man get into a white van kind of suspiciously and drive away. And in that spot, she saw a Polaroid and she picked it up. Oh, shit. I'm going to share this picture with everyone so that they can see it. Now, this particular picture is a little bit close in. In the original picture, you can see that they're in a white van, an actual, the stereotypical white van. And they look to be on blankets, pillows, but it looks like there's a young girl, a teenage girl, 
laying down with duct tape over her mouth. And and it, it appears that her hands are bound behind her back and a young boy laying next to her with his mouth also covered in duct tape, his arms also behind his back. Now, when this photo surfaced in 1989, Patty and her husband, Tara's stepfather, learned of it and notified the sheriff's office. Patty immediately thought that that was a picture of Tara. And if you look at the two of them, there are a lot of similarities. And what really convinced Patty was there's a scar on the girl's leg. You can kind of see it. Yeah, you can kind of see it. And she says that that's the same place where Tara had a scar on her leg. And that's what really convinced her that that was Tara. Plus the book there is called My Sweet Audrina by V.C. Andrews. Uh huh. And if you remember V.C. Andrews, like every teenage girl in the 80s was obsessed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With V.C. Andrews. And she said that was her daughter's favorite book and favorite author. So that was another thing that convinced her. That kind of tied it together. Exactly. And at the same time, the boy was identified by his parents as a boy named Michael Henley, a 10-year-old boy who had went missing five months before Tara did in the Zuni Mountains, which is about 150 miles west of where Tara went missing. He went camping with his dad. His dad was setting up camp and the boy was just gone. They never found him. But in this picture, his parents said, that's definitely Michael. Again, they went missing roughly 150 miles and five months apart from each other. But how did this Polaroid of what's supposedly them show up in Florida of all places? So the FBI got involved. Oprah did a show. I mean, it was everywhere. And the FBI analysis said that they felt in their opinion, it was not Tara. Scotland Yard did an investigation and they said it definitely is Tara. So nobody was really sure. And that's what I remember hearing about was that this, this mysterious Polaroid was found and these families were convinced it was children that had gone missing from New Mexico. And how creepy is that, that some white van just kind of peels out of a parking lot and leaves behind what looks like an abduction photo? I guess that was like stranger danger and like panic at the time. Everyone was going to get abducted. All kids were afraid that they were going to get abducted at that time. That was a thing in the 80s, though, like, you know, abduction started happening, unfortunately, and and stranger danger did become a thing. And yeah, it's because of shit like this. Right. And so this made news and I heard about it in New York. The next break in this case didn't come until 1990, when the remains of Michael Henley were found just a few miles from where he had gone missing. So he had not been abducted. Unfortunately, it looks like he had just gotten lost and he died of dehydration and exposure. That's not any better. That's not any better, to be honest with you. It's not any better. No, no. But now the mystery of who this little boy is kind of deepens. About this same time, the Internet's becoming more and more of a thing. And some sleuths are starting to kind of look at this picture. And a lot of people are starting to say that it looks like a staged photo, like one of those creepy, shitty photos parents would take back in the 80s and 90s. My parents never took a creepy photo of me duct taped to up to... No! But did you ever have a photograph of you or one of your siblings holding an alcohol container of some sort at like two? Well, yeah, but yeah. That, that, that was 1971. I have a whole series of one of my brothers with a pack of cigarettes and a whiskey bottle. And I think he was six months old. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Shout out to thing. your parents. <laughs> <laughs> 
that was like a thing then, man. I mean, they took all sorts of messed up photos, but a lot of people say it was staged because if you look at the photograph underneath her legs is a plastic cup tipped over and there's a book just to her right. Those are things you need your hands for. Why would they be there? Also, if, if you notice her shoulders are relaxed. If you're a kidnapper, you still got to hydrate them and you're going to hold the freaking red solo cup up to their mouth and then you're going to toss it because you don't give a shit. <laughs> and if you notice her shoulders are very relaxed if you put your hands behind your back and put your wrists together your shoulders get kind of pulled back right. you know go ahead and try it put your hands behind your back and put your wrists together like they're tied you can't keep them as relaxed as that so either her hands are tied very loosely or they're not tied at all you know it almost looks like she could just be sitting on them it does and the same thing with the boy it just kind of looks like he's laying there also, it's been pointed out by, and this is kind of creepy. I don't know why regular normal people would know this, but apparently duct tape does not make a good gag because if you have it over your mouth like that, all you have to do is kind of wiggle your lips a little bit. Just keep wiggling your mouth and you can get it loose pretty quickly and pretty easily. Thankfully, I've never had to know that. That's not something I would have known. I think I saw that on a Reddit board. So shout out to Reddit, some Tara Calico subreddit. I found that. But yeah, apparently duct tape doesn't make a good gag because it's too easy to come off. So a lot of people are thinking that this might be some sort of stupid joke photo. Like, oh, hey, we were on a trip with the kids and they wouldn't shut up. So I had to gag them. Ha ha ha. Here's a picture. That kind of thing. So some people think it was staged. Other people think it's creepy. My first thought isn't staged. Right. The boy turned out it's not him. It's definitely not him because they found him back in New Mexico. So he was never in Florida. So they don't they don't know who the boy is in the picture then. Is that what you're saying? Correct. They don't know who the boy is. And like, I am no sleuth. I am no detective, nor am I a facial reconstructionist. But when I looked at the pictures of Tara in the van and Tara Calico, I immediately saw that Tara Calico had very high arched eyebrows. And this girl has very, very straight, flat eyebrows. They look very, very similar, but their brow they're brow shape. They're not the same. Yeah. How your not eyebrows the same. grow or how your eyebrows grow, period. Now, even today, Tara's stepsister, Michelle, she's alive. And, and her father, Tara's stepfather, is also still alive. And they're still looking for her. Michelle feels she's not 100% sure from the things I've seen. But she says if you have to ask her, say yes or no right now, she would say yes. Could this just be a kid that just ran away and kind of disappeared, got a new life, started a new life kind of thing? Maybe, but there's more to the story. There always is, damn it. More has come out. So in 1991, Patty and her husband, John, John Dole, the stepfather, became authorized deputies in order to do their own search because they really felt that the sheriff's office was not doing the right thing. They've said that the department failed to follow up on leads, misplaced evidence, and were possibly involved in covering up or hiding things. September of 2008, Renee Rivera, who had been a deputy at the time Tara went missing and was now a sheriff, announced to the public that he knew what had happened to Tara Calico 19 years ago. He says, according to him, Four boys that Tara knew were kind of fucking around with her and were trying to scare her with a truck. And they hit her accidentally with a truck while she was on her bike. 
So as a, as a, as an actual policeman, you're just going to not say anything about that for 19 years. What the actual fuck? Seriously. He says they threw her in the back of the truck, bike and all, and took her to a gravel pit and that she threatened to get, have them all thrown in jail. She was going to make sure they all went to jail. They then killed her and disposed of her body. And the sheriff says that he knows this, but he doesn't have enough evidence to charge anyone. So he never thought to like, maybe go look for the body. Like I'm just saying he probably was friends with the family. He probably is. was friends, or is he family? He's friends with the family. Rumor has it that Lawrence Romero Jr. said to people that he was involved in this and that Rene Rivera knew it, but Rivera had been hired by his father and was on their side and wouldn't say anything. That's how it always goes down south. The rumor's even worse. It's rumored that Lawrence Jr. had a crush on Tara and that she didn't return it at all. She had a boyfriend. She wasn't interested. He was a known troublemaker and possibly a drug dealer. He and his friends had been harassing her for weeks, following her with their car, causing all sorts of trouble. Shortly after she was last seen being followed by this truck on that afternoon, they hit her, whether on purpose or by accident, pulled her off the side of the road, and then threw her into the back of the truck. They took her to the campground where they raped her, beat her up. When she said she was going to turn them all in, they killed her. They killed her. Romero Jr., Lawrence Romero killed her, stabbed her to death. While two of his friends, Silva Chavez and another man held her down. Wow. There was a, a man named Henry Brown made a deathbed confession in 2013. He said he was in the basement of a trailer. They dug like this hangout basement underneath a trailer, I guess. You know, real classy. <laughs> so he was in Lawrence Romero Jr.'s hangout hole. He noticed a body wrapped in a tarp. And Romero, Dave Silva, and another man told Henry that it was Tara and that they had hit her by accident, took her to the gravel pit, raped her, and then killed her. They had originally hidden the body there by the John F. Kennedy campground. And then as the searches got closer, they took her body back and hid her in the basement. Did anybody ever go back to that basement? Supposedly, but that's not where it ended. He says that he saw them throw her body into a pond near one of the houses and that her bike had been disposed of at a junkyard where they were friends and that they crushed the bike. And that's why it was never found. Another man had come forward and told police that one of these gentlemen had confessed to him as well. However, none of these confessions were ever entered. Supposedly this um, shocking Rene Rivera. These are some of the things he supposedly covered up in 1991. Lawrence Romero Jr. was found dead of a gunshot wound to the head. He's alternately said to have committed suicide and left a suicide note admitting to what happened to Tara. The suicide note disappeared, never to be found. Convenient. And it's disputed. Some people say that he liked to play with guns and that he was playing Russian roulette. But I mean, that's still kind of like suicide. I mean, how is Russian roulette not some form of suicide? But Supposedly, his suicide note was hidden by Rene Rivera and his and Lawrence Sr. Damn. 
So many cover-ups. So many cover-ups. So it's a well-known secret what happened to her. And the Polaroid picture is just an unfortunate, creepy, sad red herring. Yeah. Her mother, Patty, died in 2006. Tara's biological father died in 2002. Her stepfather, John Dole, is still alive and is still searching for her. Patty never stopped searching for her. They moved to Florida after this Polaroid was found and continued trying to search for Tara. She never stopped hoping that Tara was alive and that that photograph was real. And I guess she had a bunch of strokes towards the end of her life and couldn't speak. And she would still point at people on bikes and write down Tara and was still looking for her right up to the day she died. That's so heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking. Hopefully there might be news. I guess last year in early 2021, a search warrant relevant to the case was executed at a home in Valencia County. And the results of that have been sealed. So it's still ongoing. They do say that they're still looking into this. It's still being investigated. And uh, I've heard rumors that there's going to be a pond dredged. So maybe we'll have some answers. Her family deserves it. And the, the memory of this girl deserves that. Totally. They really do. And, and the other mystery here is who are the kids in that photograph? No one's ever come forward and claimed, hey, it's, it was me and my brother and we were just joking. They've never been found in a missing persons database. Um, it, it's quite the mystery. My guess is, is, unfortunately, that's probably not a spoof photo, unfortunately. Right. It looks very creepy. And, and are those kidnapped kids? Are those kids who are in danger? I mean, it, it's kind of sad and scary. And, and as far as the photo goes, we'll probably never have answers. The, the only thing we can be sure of is it's, it's not Tara and it's not Michael. Right. But it, it is to, to other people's children, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So today I looked into a place. You know, it's so funny. You always end up doing true crime. And I'm, I, I seem to go back and forth between cryptids and insane asylums. That's true. I think maybe we've gotten in a rut. We should swap. I know, right? I should start looking into some true crime here. So this was actually something that was recommended to us by one of our listeners, Kay. Shout out to Kay. Hi, Kay. Hey, Kay. And this is the Travers. See, if you write nice things to us, we shout you out. We read your things on the podcast. We research the stuff you tell us to. We love it when you guys send us stuff. So thank you, Kay. Mail us the stonewitches hour at gmail.com. Send us mail. We love it. We do. We do. So, so Kay had asked us to uh, give a quick look see at the Traverse City State Hospital, which is actually almost, I didn't realize this, but it's almost as far north in Michigan as you can possibly go and still be in America. That's cold. That sounds very cold. Yeah. So, it's like the tippy top part of northern Michigan. Kay's been listening. From what I understand, Kay kind of binged quite a few of our episodes. Kay, you know I don't like asylums. They're that, creepy. You know, They're that's spooky. probably why she picked it. That's probably why she picked it. <laughs> she was like, haha, I'm going to creep her out. It's extra ooky. All right, let's hear. So Traverse City Hospital. Traverse City State Hospital, which this place opened in November of 1885. And, and that's another thing. Like, what is with all of these insane asylums in, like, the mid to late 1800s? Was that, like, the thing? I think, actually, it was. Like, there was a big mental health movement then. There, there must have been, because... Wasn't it, like, in fashion or something? When was Freud around? 
Was that Freud times? Oh, geez. I don't even know. I don't even know, honestly. But it just doesn't it seem like every asylum story I've started with starts in, in 1885. They're all right around <laughs> the turn of the century there for sure. So this had a couple of different names, including the Northern Michigan Asylum, the Traverse City Regional Psychiatric Hospital, and the Northern Michigan State Hospital before it was finally closed in 1989. So you got to figure this was open. Oh, wow. for, yeah, this was open for 104 years. Which, for sane asylums, that's kind of long, just saying. Got the longevity going for it. Probably not a good thing. Most of them were really shitty places. Actually, they still were housing patients at that point. So when they closed in 1989, they actually had to force patients to relocate after its closing. And it was one of the largest employers in the city, and they all lost their jobs. Oh, wow. Damn. Yeah. I am going to go ahead and blame Freud for this whole surge of crappy, insane asylums because he definitely was practicing right around that time and writing all his books right around then. So I'm just going to go ahead and and blame this whole mental health. We need to do crappy, terrible things to people. We're going to blame it on Freud. Probably not his fault for real, but eh. this one is like weird because You know how normally they're just like, oh, shock treatment, tie them to a wall, you know, and that's kind of their method. Give them a lobotomy or let them roam around free and beat each other up. Not here at the Traverse City Hospital. Their philosophy was beauty is therapy. Well, that sounds nice. Straight jackets were forbidden. Okay. Creativity was encouraged because the hospital was located on 135 acres They had a working farm. Patients were given the opportunity to work. They would like build furniture and have like gardens and and farm products. Opportunity to, to do cool things. Farm outside, get fresh air, have a job, feel fulfilled. I think it was a combination of a, of a self-sustaining place as well as selling some of their goods to the greater public. So this sounds too good to be true. Is this one of those things where it sounds idyllic on the surface, but it was really more like forced labor? And, Absolutely. Uh... <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Okay. I was starting to wonder where you were going with this. <laughs> now, Ironically enough, the farm was also, (laughs) this is such like an upstate New York thing. The farm was also a home to a world champion milk cow. (laughs) Because, you know, we have world champion milk cows. It was an insane asylum and they had world champion cows. Apparently their world champion cow's name was Travers Kalantha Walker and They actually, this is how shitty they treated people back then. So we all know that none of these insane asylums ever did proper burials and stuff. Um, So this this cow, this championship milk cow has a grave and a headstone located between the former asylum and the farm. Oh, hold up, hold up. You know, they have a pit with just numbers for the people, but the freaking cow world champion cow has a headstone in a grave site i'm already pissed off this already sucks that's why i said you know these you you, you already know that this is going to take a downward spiral like all asylums do i mean i like cows don't get me wrong super sweet love cows cows are adorable and very tasty i'm sorry but super sweet and really nice cows but are you're, great you're gonna mass bury humans and then put up a tombstone for a yeah. cow I'm you so treat confused. your yeah no that's bad that's really bad yeah 
but again, you know, these were people who were mentally ill, suffering from addiction. The facility expanded during outbreaks of disease and took on patients when the hospitals were overwhelmed. So like translate to at the current times during COVID, you could have gone to an insane asylum. <laughs> hey, fun times. In the beginning, they really did try to do this, you know, beauty is healing, therapy is the way to go, um, you know, but of course, nothing good lasts forever. Again, back to what we were used to with similar stories, they almost doubled the amount they were allowed to have in there. I think they were allowed to have something like 4,000 patients and they were pushing 8,000 at one point. What is it with these places and double, triple, quadrupling the occupancy? You know, they build them with all these great ideas. And it seems like while they're under capacity, they seem they're to good. operate okay. And then as soon as someone, I don't know why, something happens and they decide to start stuffing people into every nook and cranny, that's when it rapidly deteriorates. Yes, yes. And, and that's basically what happened. I found pages and pages and pages of stories of hauntings, you know, patients, medical staff that were there. Some people have even claimed to see the, 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 the world champion cow. You're telling me the prize cow, the ghost of the prize cow wanders the grounds of the asylum. And that's one of the, that's one of the selling points. Okay. I'll buy that. So people, you know, people have not only thought they've seen the animals, but they've also thought that they've seen patients and stuff screaming in the middle of the night, wailing in the middle of the night. They actually do little tours here. You can go on like, like a haunted tour. Or is it just like a check out how, how shitty this asylum was tour? Uh, kind of like a haunted tour. They have a slightly creepy cottage number 30 where they have this asylum after dark tours. So wait, there's cottages on the ground? Listen to what the, you know, and, and I've talked about this when, when I did the Danvers State Hospital here in Massachusetts, same, same thing happened. So they take this asylum, you know, so it's now it's like 1990 something. And they're like, all right, we've closed this big asylum. What are we going to do with it? I got an idea. Let's turn it into apartments. Oh no, not again. Not again. <laughs> That I, what is, I really, I really, if you live in one of these places that used to be an asylum and is in now apartments, please tell me, I am dying of curiosity. What's it like living there? The paranormal activity has got to be off the charts. The weirdness level alone. Oh my gosh. And they call it now, now modern day times, it's called the historic village at Grand Traverse Commons. Well, that's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. So you can live there, you can tour there, you know, it is a lot of these uh, working farm asylums where, you know, they had multiple buildings, eight, 10 different buildings. A lot of those buildings are gone, but they do have a few of the original buildings, which they do utilize today. And like, imagine going and living in one of those apartments. Living in one of those apartments where some poor soul, okay, so they didn't get straight jacketed, but- who knows what other atrocities were performed on them? I wasn't able to find any specific atrocities per se. Like, you know, with other places, we've heard about lobotomies and, and, and starvation and things of that nature. 
I didn't really find anything that focused on any of that necessarily, but you know, we all know what to expect from a place like this, especially once they've reached the overcrowding stages. If nothing else, you can't tell me they had great bathroom facilities. Come on now. So the official stories really don't cite anything other than the overcrowding factor. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, again, you'll hear tales of ghosts wandering the halls, crying, screaming, yelling, kind of the normal, I don't want to say normal asylum haunts, but kind of the normal asylum haunts. Nothing really odd and out of the ordinary as far as the the activity happening here. It's it's just your kind of, your typical bad juju, man. Bad juju. And I still can't get over the, you have a tombstone for a cow. Me either. And not for the people. That's ridiculous. I know that, I know it, that Kay said in her email that she was kind of afraid to go back because of some experiences that, that were going on when she was there. But Kay, I'm so curious. if you're listening, please, I'm begging you for the love of whatever, go back, spend the night, tell us what is going on there. Because I'm curious because, you know, like I said, there, there's nothing specific um, about specific hauntings that I found. But people have always said, you know, they always felt people present. It was always a chilling experience, but they didn't necessarily get into what made it a chilling experience. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it it definitely seems like a place that is, is starting to gain interest from the ghost hunting community. They're, they're definitely looking to kind of hone in on this place, but for 45 bucks a person, you can go check that place out. You know how I like orb photos. So have there been any orb sightings or nothing, any EVPs or anything like that? Nothing that has been noted. It seems like a lot of the big ghost hunting groups have not gone there yet. Um, I'm sure it's coming. But so far, I was not able to find any sort of EVP logs or or anything of that nature. Again, nothing really specific other than people just saying it's haunted and saying it's scary, but not necessarily being able to to come up with specifics, so to say. Right. So I think that Kay gave us a gift here. And unfortunately, we're not equipped to take it yet. How cool would it be for us to go and do an investigation there? We should. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, apparently, they uh, the the majority of their investigations they offer are during the month of October. Obviously. Obviously. But it's it seems like it's becoming kind of an up and coming ghosty tourist spot in Michigan. So I do think that there's definitely more to find out. I think this because there's not a ton of information i think this is one of those places that is better left to be investigated i would love to live there (laughs) (laughs) that's me but the apartment complexes look beautiful now you still living there knowing what's been going on you know yeah knowing what was there and knowing what other asylums are like and that people have had experiences there you know when you go into these places a lot of people report that you can kind of feel a difference you feel like a presence you can right. feel a heaviness or like you're being watched and i think that's probably the kind of thing that that people are reporting here you know they're they're hearing things they're feeling like they're being touched and 
And I think doing an investigation there would certainly be interesting. It would open the door, I think, and give a lot more insight to what the deal is at this joint. Yeah. Maybe go there with our tarot cards, have our psychic impressions on full alert, see what's going on there, use some equipment and see what's going on. This would be a great opportunity to kind of do some preliminary ghost hunting get in on some place before other people have kind of and that that's how this place feels this place feels like it's a place that hasn't had a whole lot of in-depth investigating yet and is just kind of being i don't want to say outed by the ghost world but outed by the ghost world this is definitely something i think we might hear more about as these tours continue and some of these more professional ghost hunters get their hands on this. Yeah. Some of these investigations get going. I'd be curious to see what happens, you know, and, and if there's any type of, you know, any new information that comes out, we'll have to keep an eye on it. And certainly we'll have to, we'll have to add that to our list of places that we need to go right at the top since no one else has kind of been there yet. Right. Right. We should go and do our, our little investigation you know, too bad our non-existent GoFundMe to send the witches on haunted investigations hasn't taken off. Otherwise, we could do these things. Right? <laughs> yeah. We Maybe we need one. We need one first. <laughs> yeah. But one of these days, we will definitely get out to some of these places. For sure. I'm- I definitely think that this is a nifty, a nifty place to check out. I just definitely would love to find out more information about it. I would too. Yeah. And, and, and sadly, a lot of the backstories aren't quite there yet, but I think they're going to start coming out as time goes on. So if any of our listeners have been to or had any experiences of their own at the Traverse City Hospital in Northern Michigan, send us an email at thestonedwitcheshour at gmail.com. Shell is going to help us out with the email here going forward. But uh, so if you've emailed us and haven't heard back, that will be corrected soon. I'll get on it. I'll get on it, people. I'll get on it. <laughs> we got Shell's this. the organized one. I am not. We got this. Don't worry. But yeah, it's okay. If you or any of your friends hop back out to Traverse State Hospital, shoot us a line. Let us know. Because because I, I, I'm definitely intrigued by this joint. I'm totally intrigued. And as usual, if you have any paranormal event, we do have our book three of your stories coming up here in the next month or so. So if you have a personal ghost story, paranormal happening that you would like to share with us and have us read, send them to the stone, which is our at gmail.com. And if we choose your story, we'll let you know and read it on the next book of your stories. So, Hey, and if you just want to tell us what kind of weed we should smoke, or you have a hint on where we should go to investigate next, send us a line, go to our Instagram, the stone witches, or send us an email We'll do it. We'll smoke it. We'll investigate it. We'll take a look at it. You know, I think, I think we need some, we get people telling us about um, ghost stories and stuff. You know what we should do for book four? I'm going to put it out there already. I am going to create book four's agenda. Ooh, okay. Sing it, Shell. Listeners. We're always asking you for your listener stories for our, our, our storybook episodes. Give us your stories about any hauntings, ghostings, and witchy things for, for book three. But think ahead for book four. For book four, 
I think we should do your weed stories. What are you smoking, people? What are you smoking out of? Do you like the silicone pipe like me? Are you a bong person? Are you a total joint person? How about book four be your weed stories? I love that so much. Tell us your weed stories. Tell us where you like to smoke, what you like to smoke. Tell us one of your favorite weed adventures. Did something wild and crazy happen while you were really, really high? Send it on in. We We want to know. know. For book four of your stories, we're going to read your weed stories. Send them on in. We want to read your weed, man. So so book four, folks, get it together. And Lisa Ann, I'm talking to you. Oh, Lisa Ann, I miss you, girl. She's got a weed story. I know it. Oh, she's got good. We know she's got a weed story. Send one on in, Lisa Ann. You know you want to. So, so folks, prep your best weed stories. I don't even care if you're just going to tell us how you melted into your couch and thought that SpongeBob was coming at you from the ceiling. (laughs) I want to hear it. I want to tell us your fun weed stories. Send them on in. The Stoned Witches Hour at gmail.com. Give us your weed stories. Book four. Super excited. How fun will that be? All right. Well, thanks for listening to episode 24 of the Stoned Witches Hour. Tell us which story was spookier. Was it the creepy, sad, missing story of Tara Calico? Or is it the Traverse City, Michigan Hospital? Traverse City, what's it called? (laughs) (laughs) You're killing me. The hospital that's so scary, I can't remember its name. The Traverse State Hospital in Northern Michigan. Before you guys vote, I think what what makes the Traverse State story stand out a little more is the fact that we don't have any real deep information on it. Definitely stay tuned next week for episode 25, where we smoke even more cannabis of higher THCs and more amazing crystally goodness and tell each other even spookier, creepier, wilder tales. I'm going to try to push myself. I'm going to see if I can find a true crime story for next week. Oh, I've got I've got a tip for you. Okay. The LaLori Mansion in New Orleans. Let me write this down. This is really there's a lot there, Shell. Okay. Because you're always doing the true crime and I'm always doing asylums and crazy stuff. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna check out this LaLori mansion. I'm going to do my best to find some sort of super haunted paranormal, either cryptid or institution. Next week on the West Coast, I'll be Shell. (laughs) On the East Coast, I'll be Layla. Awesome. So that'll be fun. We'll kind of switch spots a little bit. But I'm keeping my own weed. Well, yeah, I wish we could share. You'd really like this. I think you'd love this. I mean, I know it's like a mid-20s range THC, but you would, sweet, man. you would love this. It's such a happy high stone. You, you'd have so much fun with it. I know you would. So I wish we could share, but yeah, I'm, I'm down to the last of my stash here. So I probably don't have enough to share, but next Bye time we get day. together, we'll get together soon. Like we used to shout, but until then I'll raise my bong to you. Stay high and stay spooky. <laughs> we'll see you next week on the stone, which is our.